the fact of how Jesus built the church, and we talked about worship, and we've talked about, uh, throw those up there, the first two we've talked about, the magnified ministry, and today uh, we want us to take it one step further and, and talk about evangelism. I, I think the, the importance of, of missions is evangelism. And that's what missions is. It, it's not doing the work of the church. It's not doing work in the church. Missions involves evangelism. It involves reaching the lost. Uh, Jesus said it in Matthew 28, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Now, look, Jesus is not going to tell you to baptize somebody that's not led to Jesus. <laughs> He's not going to tell you to baptize a lost person, even though I've done it. Didn't mean to, but, but the people just were fooling themselves. They weren't really saved. He said, go and make disciples, which has evolved, it's involved in missions and evangelism, and, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey, to obey all the commandments. Today, churches say, well, the best way to grow a church is to steal other church members. I, some of you come here from other churches, but I didn't set out to steal you. Evidently, you weren't much of a member at that other church or you wouldn't be here. And that's the way I feel about here. A lot of people say, well, you get upset, so-and-so goes and joins another church. And I said, no, because evidently this family doesn't fit their cup of tea, and I'm not going to get mad at that as long as they go to church. What bothers me is people come in here and hoop and holler and hallelujah and then fall out and don't go to church anywhere at all. Now, that bothers me because I, I begin to wonder, are you a part of the family? I'm not judging you, but I'll tell you this, you know, you either believe in the family of God or you don't. Do you have a family? Do, let me ask you something, guys. Do you just have, show up? one or two times a week and, and go somewhere, somewhere else and just flippantly treat your family like that? No. I guarantee your wife would have your head on a platter. Well, Jesus shouldn't get anything less than that. The church is a family. Who is it a family of? It's a family of supposedly believers, people who have been one to Christ. And so I, I think it's important if we're going to worry about getting bigger, let's, let's win people to Christ. Forget about running around here trying to grab up somebody that ain't happy in their church anyway. Why do you want unhappiness to come in here? If I'm an unhappy pastor as far as being here, then I need to go where I'm happy and let somebody come in here that's, that's content if that be the case, which I'm content. The purpose of evangelism is to go. The, Jesus said we need to go. That's the Great Commission. The task of evangelism is important, and it's not a gift. Even though there's a gift of, the, of an evangelist, I'm talking about evangelism as a part of every believer. We have been, we have been called to be a witness to, to the world, to be a witness to the lost, to be a witness to our friends. And if we're not willing to witness... I, I see ourselves lining up one or two ways. You're either, as a member of a church, you're either uh, witnessing or you're backslidden. Only backsliders don't witness. You say, well, that's not really my job. Yes, it is if you're saved. I'm telling you, these aren't my words. These are the words of Jesus. He said, while we're going, we are to evangelize. 
You know, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Romans chapter 10. And while you're turning, over 150 men Friday night came here at the church. You, you heard us promoting a, an event where a Venezuelan was coming in and, and he was going to do a strongman event. And he did. This whole stage turned into blocks and bricks and bats and iron and, and, and all kind of stuff. And it was only just a small little portion of what he does in, in terms. And he's going to do some different stuff. He's coming October the 29th in our fall festival. I've shared with our guys our greatest challenges, and I really believe this. I'm going to share this. If we're not going to make that him the main event at some point in that event, he doesn't need to come. Because I'm telling you something, there's only one thing in, to my, in my opinion that's important other than you growing spiritually is you getting saved. Amen? And I'm telling you, when we do our fall festival, we have a 1,000 plus people coming. And if half of those are saved, I, I'd be surprised. So we need to focus that point. We need to work on that as a church. But his testimony was about his wife. Caesar's wife was... Uh, Caesar went to the Art Institute of Atlanta. He, 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 he majored in graphic arts, and he ended up uh, on a... Somebody told me earlier, and I can't think about what it was, but he was on a newscast type thing. He, he actually did certain things, and you wouldn't have thought this dude would be doing that. Uh, but let me tell you something. He, he, he met this woman. He, it's a bizarre way he, the way he met her. And he shared it in his testimony. I can't bring it all out. But, but the most important about this lady is that she became Caesar's world, and she came down with cancer and was dying. Now, Caesar wasn't saved when he married this lady. You say, well, how do you get a picture of this lady? Because he left it in the motel room. Uh, some of you guys, you saw how manly he is. Guess what he does when he goes to the motel room? He takes a picture of his wife, and he puts it up for him to see. And, and this is her. He said, Mike, I left it in the room. I said, I hope I don't send a bad message and get you in trouble. <laughs> but his wife, he, sat, he said he sat by her side for a week or two. And when she would come out of the morphine trance, he would put water chips in her, in her mouth. And he said, here's what he prayed. He said, God... He said, I've heard about you. He said, and I don't know you, but if you're real, heal my wife. And guess what happened to his wife? She got miraculously healed. God took every bit of the cancer out of her body and healed her. She was going to die. She had serious, regressive cancer. Now, Caesar goes all over the United States sharing that testimony. And that was a power. How many of you are here Friday night? Raise your hand. Would y'all say amen? That's a pretty powerful testimony. I mean, we had 14 people saved Friday night. And, and they do as a team, they do a crusade. Now, I want y'all to just pray about this because you know me, I'm a visionary. And my sons have learned I, that's about what I'm good for is the visionary the, the prep work and all the, or, all the other organizational stuff, I'm all, all that great at. And I'm okay with that. But somebody's got to have the vision. 
I want to see him bring his team here and go to every grammar school, every middle school, and every high school, and any other personal private academy will let him come in. It's $500 a school. And then what you do is you bring them to the church for at least two nights. You fire those kids up, and believe me, our kids were fired up the other night. You bring those kids, you tell those kids to invite their parents to a show free and come and see what they saw and hear what they heard on, in the church house. What we'll have to make sure as a church that we've got people trained to deal with each one of those because they're all going, there's going to be two, three hundred or plus get saved. Now you say, well, that costs money. Well, let me ask you something. Can you, t- can you tell me any other better way to spend money than to see people saved? I, I wish you could, but there is no other way. There's no better way to spend that kind of money except see folks saved. And that's, that's being evangelistic. That's being soul-minded. And, and let me tell you something. This church, or at least this pastor, and I believe you are too, I, I believe that we're soul-minded and we'll do whatever it takes to see people say. And I'll tell you something. I want you to pray about that. Paul was this type of person. Look at chapter 10, verse 1, Romans. Paul said, Dear brothers and sisters, The longing of my heart. Now, let me tell you what I've learned about people. We all have a longing of our heart. We all have a desire in our heart. And and sometimes that's just simply other than to raise our kids and then love our grandkids and and provide for them and, 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 and have a hobby or two. But, you know, Paul said, let me tell you what the longing of my heart is. The desire of my heart and my prayer to God is that the Jewish people might be saved. Why is it that we think that it's only the preachers or the prophets that ought to have that kind of desire? I promise you, if you have a loved one that doesn't make it, I challenge you to look at your Bible because sometimes we preachers, we preach funerals and we preach it wrong. We say that when you die, there'll be no more tears in heaven. If you look at the context of that scriptures and when Jesus says about the tears in the book, it doesn't implicate that there won't be tears in heaven. There will be a time that it will stop, but there will be people crying in heaven. And yes, you're going to know that your loved ones didn't make it. And you may even know that from the standpoint that you had an opportunity to tell them about it, but you didn't. Oh, you told them about everything else. You cooked some fine meals, and you made sure that they were in all kind of things in their life. But did you tell them about the most important person? His name is Jesus. John 14, 6, you know the the verse. You ain't getting there unless you go through him. Understand. Our heart's desire should be to see people saved. And we ought to be willing to do whatever it takes. And we ought to be willing to share. Golly, y'all, I hear people say, well, I can't talk. Well, let me just get with you about five minutes. Get on the most favorite subject you like. Deer hunting, rabbit hunting, fishing. Something, shopping, most, you have most women right there in your face. 
You're talking about things they like. They can talk, but we, when it comes to Jesus, all of a sudden we develop lockjaw. We think we don't have to do that. Well, if you're right with God, you do. If you're right with Jesus, you're supposed to. I hear a lot of times preachers and staff members, they say, I'm too busy to share Jesus. Really? Then if you're too busy, I got news for you, you're way too busy. Well, I just don't have time to to get involved with Jesus because I have to work seven days a week. Well, you know what? I had an employer tell me one time that I was going to have to work on Sunday, and I quit. And I'm not talking about it in the church. I'm just talking about it in the world. You know what? You do what you want to do. I guarantee you, if you're working a a seven-day-a-week job now, and then you you get mad at one thing, you'll quit, and you'll find you another job. But we don't take those kind of stands anymore for Jesus. We, we just say, well, we got to do what we got to do. No, you don't. No, you don't. I see you do it for other things. You can do that for Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it's important that we understand that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised his son from the dead, we can be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by the confessing with your mouth that you're saved. And as the Scriptures tell us in verse 13, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thirteen people Friday night called upon the name of the Lord. I was standing right here, or no, I wasn't, I was sitting right here. And there was a group of boys sitting right here. Y'all, y'all know who, some of you are here. You were pray, you've been praying for this I think his name's Brandon. You've been pr- Braden. Bradley. Bradley. You've been praying for Bradley. They've been, they've just been praying. How many of you even spent any time here lately praying for anybody that's lost? And these kids sitting there praying for him. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know who needed what. But I, th- I had this overwhelming come upon me. Somebody needs to ask them something. So I started individually saying, hey, man, you know Jesus? Yeah, yeah, I've been saved. Uh, well, I've been saved. And I finally looked at the one they were praying for, and I said, hey, man, you've been saved? He said, uh-uh. I said, well, do you want to invite Christ in your life? I sure do. You know, it spooks me sometimes because I really wonder, all the people that come to this altar, if you're coming because you need to be saved. Don't think that kneeling and saying, God, I need to be saved is saving you because I don't. What you have to pray is, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I repent of my sins. And I asked with my mouth, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and to save me. Oh, you won't live perfect, but you'll live a whole lot better with Jesus on the inside than you kind of playing lip service with Jesus on the outside. And that little boy accepted Christ and 13 others that Friday night. We've got the cards. We're going to, have, we're going to be doing follow-up to staff, and, and, and we're going to be praying with these guys. But I don't know that I can preach to you a more important message is to, is to remind you that you need to be saved. Because without it and you die, you're going to bust 
hell wide open. You've got to have Jesus on the inside. It's not something that takes place on the outside. It's, it's what comes into the inside. And the Bible calls it the Holy Spirit. Do we have a burden for the law? Second of all, or fourth of all, excuse me, involves membership. Now, I, I, in, in the blank, when I look at membership, I look at baptism. Traditionally, Baptist. Some Baptist churches, and some of you have run into this in Baptist churches, they will not baptize you until you what? Until you join the church. Oh, they'll baptize you whether you're saved or not. If you just say you've been saved. But what I'm saying is there are churches, and I've pastored some of those, that if you say, I want to come in and, and uh, I want to be baptized, but I'm not going to join the church. I said, no, we ain't going to do that. Now, is that New Testament? No. No, it's not. But what I am saying to you is that baptism and membership kind of go hand in hand. There are three present participle verbs in the, in the text of Matthew 28. is the word going, the word baptizing, and the word teaching. You see, baptism is important because it warrants the commission of God. Look. Do you, Mike, believe that if you were saved and died the day you were saved and were not baptized with the water, do you believe you'd go to hell? No. No, I don't believe that. Does everybody teach that? No. <laughs> Church of Christ believes you've got to be baptized how? By the water. That salvation comes in the water. <clears throat> now, Listen. I believe you have to be baptized by the Spirit or you're going to hell. Listen to me. If, if the Spirit doesn't come into your heart, if the Spirit, Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of you, you are not sealed and you have not been signed off by God. You better hear me. I believe that it is mandated that you and I be baptized by the Spirit. You say, well, how, when does that take place? Well, if you were full gospel, that's a whole other different deal. But what I believe is the Scripture teaches is that when you and I come before Him and acknowledge that we're sinners and receive Him into our heart and Jesus comes in and we confess Jesus and walk with Jesus and willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus, then the Holy Spirit immediately comes in and seals you unto the day of redemption. That's a promise. Not my promise. That's God's promise. But baptism to me is important. Now, there are some Christians that say, well, I can get saved. I don't have to be baptized. Why would you not want to be baptized? As a matter of fact, Jesus made a point of it. He said, you will baptize me because I want my followers to know that I want, if it's all possible, I'm requesting them to be baptized. The word baptism is the Greek word baptizio, and it doesn't mean sprinkled. There is no such thing as being sprinkled. In the New Testament. The Greek word means under the water. Immersion. Under. Little Jaden. 
We'll be baptized in here a little bit. Two Sundays ago, maybe, he said, Preacher, when you baptize me, I want to hold my own nose. <laughs> we had to kind of figure that out in the office. How's he going to hold on one arm? Hold on. We got it done. I don't know why people get scared of the water, but I'll tell you this. If you are walking with Jesus and you're growing with Jesus and you get saved, spirit comes in, you need to be baptized. I don't care whether you join this church or not, but biblically you need to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus said to be baptized. Don't you want to do what Jesus said to do? Now, some of you are in here right here today, and and you've done it. Maybe you've been sprinkled. To me, if I'd just been sprinkled, I'd want to be baptized the way Jesus was baptized. That's up to you. But I'll tell you this. I believe Jesus requested us to be baptized and be a part of a membership of a church. You see, God never saved any of us to be lone rangers to stay at home and watch church on TV. Now, some of you are happy about that. I, you'd be, maybe you'd rather listen to somebody else. But, but when your wife dies, when your child dies, when your husband dies, call them on TV and let them come to your funeral. Don't bother me with it. Nah, you can bother me with it. I don't care. But you know what I'm talking about? It's amazing. I had one woman say, you believe I ought to just tithe to the church? I just think I ought to send my tithe off to uh, somebody else. I said, well, if you want to tithe to somebody else, when your grandkids and kids start getting married, call them, see if they'll come and do it. I don't understand logic of people sometimes. Membership to me involves fellowship. And, and too often, rather than I think we're cr- c- uh, committed to the Great Commission, it seems like we've become great, uh, committed to omission. We omit a bunch of stuff. Now, I'll, I'll admit to you that every church is different, just like family. There's some of you that I probably wouldn't get, get along well with in your family, the way you do things. You know... And, and, and I, there's, not, there's a lot of churches I go into and say, whoop, I wouldn't want to be a part of this family. These are weird people. Or being legalistic. I get so tired of people saying, if you don't have your hair do a certain way or you don't wear a tie or, or you don't do all this stuff, you can't be right with God. That's just nothing other than legalism. That's the very things that Jesus got crucified for. He wasn't a religionist. Now I think you ought to have clothes on. And I think you need to wear them where they're not seductive. And that isn't just women, that's men too. I don't, I don't understand why we guys think we, that we look good by wearing four buttons undone on our shirt. You don't look sexy. Only to your wife. I don't get it. (laughs) 
Oh, well. The last one is maturity. And that involves discipleship. You see, the word discipleship means that the church should exist to edify, to educate. It, it means that we are to be helping people, people to come, become more like Christ in our thoughts and feelings and actions. We men, are, we're trying to, and the women are doing it, we're trying to be more proactive in that and having discipleship groups. But you know what? It takes commitment on your part too. I hear a lot of people say, well, you know what? I want to grow in Jesus. I want Jesus to be number one in my life. But you won't come faithfully to five sessions for a discipleship for nobody. I don't get it. That's like saying you want a hamburger, but you won't cook one. You won't go to McDonald's and buy one. What's up with that? Commitment today is as shallow as the thimble of the average person. And let me tell you something. Jesus calls for more than that out of you. He calls for commitment out of us. He calls for for us to not only make disciples but become disciples. Surely you're not satisfied where you are spiritually right now and you don't feel like you need to grow anymore, that you've arrived. I got news for you. I don't want to be around you if you think you've arrived. Because I know I haven't. There's an inadequacy in me spiritually that I know that I need to grow. If you got the attitude, you ought to listen to Caesar. He'll tell you about all about arriving. When you think you're so egotistical, have you the man or you the woman, and, and they all need old God. I'll tell you what, I don't want to be near you. Because stuff is fixing to happen in your life to make it to where you're going to find out you need more than you. You need things. You need people. And you need Jesus. And you need to be more than just on the take. You need to be a giver of yourself. Jesus said it in Luke 9, 23. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Jesus lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look, you can't live the Christian life on your own. It's got to be Jesus in you, living through you. You got to let that happen. You live like a, a worldly dude, and I promise you, say, uh, Jesus is going to beat, he's going to beat the tar out of you. Proverbs says, spare the rod, and we say it, but we don't like to do it, do we? My boys <clears throat> know what it is to get a belt whooping. They know that. But the problem is, do you do that or do you discipline your kids? Josh was my challenging child coming up. That little fella, he, he was the people dude. And I could beat him to an inch of his life. Didn't do no good. Take the phone away from him and that boy was about to die. One, I remember this because I quit it. It was too much trouble. 
I'd rather just whoop them. I said, boy, you ain't going to be able to use that phone. And back then, the only phone we had was the one by the chair. And beepers had not even been created yet. And I said, you can't use that phone for a week. He liked to hounded us to death. I said, I'll never do that again. It cost me. Every time, Daddy, can I use the phone? I, I said, what did I say? I said, seven days. Well, it ain't, ain't seven days yet? I said, no. I can't imagine if he'd had a cell phone because I'd had to take it. And I'd probably have not put him in a mental institution. <laughs> it's a good thing he's got a job that involves a phone. That's good and bad. All too often, I think we have become churches who like to gather among the members. We like to fellowship. We like to have fun. But we forget that people are dying and going to hell while we fellowship. The story is told on the seacoast of a living, a life-saving station that was built. And on the seacoast, <clears throat> ships would wreck, and, and then what they would do, they would go out and help save the people during the night and bring them back to the life-saving station. Well, as they got together and, and began to fellowship, and, 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 you know, they wanted to they tithed to it. They gave to it. They, they just loved the, their life in the life-giving station. Something happened, though. Some of the members got unhappy. You see, the building was too primitive. They wanted up-to-date stuff. So rather than sleeping on cots, they went out and bought new beds. And rather than the old chairs and metal chairs they were sitting on, they went out and bought new furniture. And that all seemed okay, except one night, all of a sudden, there was a ship that had a wreck, and they had to have an emergency. And when they brought all of the people to the life-saving station, some of them were not English-speaking. Some of them were black. Some of them were white. Some of them were yellow. Some of them were first-class cabineers, and others were tagging in the bottom of the ship. They came wet into their life-saving station. They scratched the furniture, messed up. Immediately, there was an emergency meeting in the church, and, and they decided that we're going to have to put a shower on the outside because the people are messing up our life-saving station. It got so bad that they decided they were going to hire people to go out and do the life-saving. They didn't want to do it anymore. It came down to the wire, and they had a business meeting, and they decided that they that they weren't going to do that anymore. And once somebody got up and said, hey, wait a minute, the whole purpose of us being who we are is because we believe in saving people who are drowning. They said, well, if you want to do that, go down and start you another one. So guess what they did? They went and started another one. 
The same process took place over a period of time where people that it got to where there was a long line of life-saving stations on the shoreline, but nobody was saving anybody because they were all nicely in their little membership, all in their little meetings, and all in their little stuff, all about themselves. They didn't want to mess up nothing. The God-forsaken bulletins that everybody was so worried about seeing the songs being sung on Sunday was more important than people that were dying and needed to be saved. I wonder if that describes us. Have we really gotten to where we're more... We're more concerned about a word being spelled right in the bulletin or something being right as opposed to why we're really here, and that is to get the word out to the lost who are still dying. But we're caught up because we think that we need our little club patting everybody on the back. Nothing wrong with fellowship. Nothing wrong with the family. But let's face it. That's not why we exist. That's not why God's letting us stay on this earth. It's so we will be concerned about people that need Jesus. If if you're more concerned about your personal comfort in this building then you are the people out in the community that are dying. I just want you to know, I love you with all my heart, but you're backslidden. You're backslidden. Now, the only way I know to tell you to change that is you, you slid away. Let's, let's come back. Let's slide back to what's important. Let's slide back to being concerned about lost people. And, and you know where we need to start, right? You hear, you hear me all the time say this, but you need to start with your own child. You need to start with your own wife. You need to start with your own kids. And then branch out from there. Who do you work around? Do you care whether they live or die? Do you care whether they go to hell or go to heaven? Now, some of us say we do, and we'll teach that we do, but can God count on you to open your mouth and be used as a mouthpiece for him. Can he? I mean, we, we sure, we, we're not short on gossiping, man. We can gossip the boat down. But can we gossip the gospel? Can we tell people about Jesus? I close with this illustration. Two men have come into the life of this church and, and, and many of you know who they are. Many of you may not remember. Both of them are in the country western singing world. One was Marty Rabin. Marty Rabin used to sing and now does sing with, what's the name of that? Shenandoah. Marty Rabin will go anywhere to sing. Now some of you we don't some of you don't need just to go anywhere because you can't keep you can't keep your mind. You go to a bar and you're gonna be tempted to drink or but Marty, he he goes into the bars, but he but after he's done, you know what he tells them? He tells them about Jesus. 
Now, I know Marty Raven's a, a soul-winning rascal because I took him, my wife and I took him home, and we stopped for lunch at, can't even remember the place was at now, but somewhere in Conyers. And all these waitresses started to recognize who he was, and he started telling everyone about Jesus. I mean, he, he, he'd just tell them the gospel story. Let me tell you something. If we get to where we think we're too big and we're too popular or we're too wealthy or we're too poor to tell people about Jesus, I just want you to know you are no good to Jesus. He put us here to to be what he is, the soul-winning station in us, and he wants us to use us and work through us. And, and he wants to use us in a wonderful way. But we are so busy in our own lives that we get to thinking, I'll do it someday. I'll let Jesus use me someday. Well, what, what's wrong with today? Why don't he start with you today and be able to use you? To me, all of those are what makes up the Lord's blueprint to build his church. And they're all important. And so often, that's, that's the furthest thing that we are. And we need to be on every one of them. Amen? With your heads bowed, Father.